Welcome, everyone, to Tabletop Journeys. It is Tuesday, and it is a Star Trek day, and we are here with the last of our cast interviews. We've met our captain. We've met our XO. We've met our chief of engineering and our chief of security, and here we are right now today getting ready to introduce our brand new cast member and crew member for the Dilamas Christian. Now, here's the thing. Our newest cast member has not built their character yet. We're going to go ahead and do that tonight. So for anybody who missed our Session Zero episode last year, we're going to go through that character generation process. Um, Before we get into any of that, I'm going to take a brief moment to allow our newest cast member, to introduce themselves and uh, to you, the audience, and here we go. Hi, everybody. I'm Lacey, and I'm really super happy to be here and to be going on this journey. I am a huge nerd, as you might expect, and I have been playing games pretty much definitely my whole adult life and into my childhood. I started playing role-playing games as a stem off anime and went through the whole learning about each system and here I am. Lacey, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you, you being here. I've got a, just a few questions that our audience is dying to know. There are a lot of the same questions I talked to our other cast members about in the previous couple of weeks. The idea being we want our audience to get to know us as gamers, as players in this space, as well as the characters we're about to inhabit. So along those lines, you've told us that you've got started. You've been gaming a lot of different systems. You definitely started with anime. Tell me about your TTRPG journey. What are some of the systems you've done? How long have you been at it? So the very beginning, I was in an anime club at a games and bookstore. And the person running this group gathered all the anime kids and said, hey, let's play this game. We started with a game system called Exalted, which is just like this very power, trippy, silly, and fun game. We played that for a while, and then a role-playing day started. It was around that time. It got me to play into a one-shot D&D game. And from there, I just went off and played. We played some World of Darkness, some Vampire, Werewolf. We played all kinds of little systems here and there as they came out because we were at a game store. So it was very easy, accessible to grab whatever system was available. I played a D20 Game of Thrones game for probably about four years, four or five nights a week. <laughs> it was a very crazy time for me through high school. And I even, as I got through high school, I joined the Marines. And in the Marines, I introduced some Marines into role-playing games. We played some, I can't remember the system, but a samurai system. I got them playing that for a little bit. And came home, and I'm still at it, still playing. This will be my first Star Trek game. Awesome. Big shout out to the Marine Corps. If I didn't, all of my friends who are in the Marine Corps would be very angry at me for not saying something about that. 
obviously a lot of people who are connected with the show have varying amounts of military experience. I was in the Army myself for a number of years. So thank you for your service on behalf of the audience. I definitely want to say that. And I love that journey where you just started with one toe in because of a thing that you shared with some folks. And then it was, hey, try this. And that went really well. And you went to another thing. I love the fact that it was through a game store. Is that a game store that's still open and around? Is that a place you want to shout out for us? So anybody who's in that general area can check out that store if they haven't already. Oh, absolutely. It's Crossroad Games in Standish, Maine, and they're going strong. I think they must be one of the oldest game stores. I think they had their 23rd anniversary or something like that. I highly recommend them. Great people. It's a family-owned store and still very vibrant with role-playing games. I am a huge fan of Crossroad Games, despite the fact I personally never got in there myself. <laughs> All the folks that I LARP with, most of the folks I game D&D with, they are regular customers, visitors, and uh, contributors to uh, all of the great RPG action that goes down there. My buddy Benito, who we talk about on the show all the time, he is consistently down there gaming and doing stuff. I love those guys, even though I have not personally met them. They provide a home for so many of my dear friends up in Maine that it is practically my second game store. You'll have to come visit. Yeah, I, I, I hope to. I just, I got to get to Maine where I'm there for more than like a quick day in, day out kind of trip. If I can get a, mm-hmm. at least two days in, I'm probably going to be throwing dice there. I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> so with all of that game experience, have you primarily been a player or have you stepped behind the screen, done any GMing at all? I've done a little of both. I tend to find myself as a player, but I have run games throughout that whole time. But more recently, I've run a few of the 24-hour marathons for charity, the Extra Life marathons. I was a DM for those of, I think, three years. And I also recently had a job where I was allowed to run D&D games for clients with traumatic brain injuries. So I was a DM for a group of people for about three years. Awesome. Gaming has so many great ways to get people to look into or deal with or handle or forget as needed all these other things that it can be a really good avenue to healing for a lot of reasons. Most of my lifelong friends I've gained through gaming in some fashion or another or because of opportunities that presented themselves because I was gaming, even if they themselves were not gamers. And certainly there's a lot of healing that goes on. We've done a couple different shows on that here. It is something that family members of mine have used in various ways in the counseling work they do as well. Great stuff. So you mentioned earlier that you hadn't played a Star Trek RPG before, but how familiar are you with Star Trek? And, you know, uh, give us the Lacey's backstory on how she became aware of and got into or heard about Star Trek. So um, I am a very casual Star Trek fan. I have watched some of the movies. I haven't watched through whole seasons, but I have watched episodes. So I'm sure I'm missing some of the bigger arcs, but I do like it and I do enjoy the worlds that they build, the character developments that happen. I think I'll be brushing up more on it to stay with you guys. This particular group of cast members are deep Star Trek (laughs) nerds. I think 
Glenn, who is on his rewatch of one of the shows, I think he's rewatching Voyager right now, but is probably the one who is the lightest versed in Star Trek, <laughs> but even he's been deep in. One of the cool things ab- about that and why I was really excited knowing a little bit about that part of your backstory as well was that to let people know I'm on the Star Trek Adventures board and a couple other communities through Facebook and online groups. And there's always people like, I don't know that much about Star Trek. Is it something I can play or is it something I can run? Or is it, how would you do that? And it's easy for someone who's been Star Trek since before he was born. Literally, my mother, <laughs> when I was in utero, was watching Star Trek, right? So it's always been a part of me. It's easy for me to say, You'll be fine. Enjoy it. You'll get it. But having someone in our cast, having someone join the Tabletop Journeys family who is that casual fan who loves role-playing, who is a, a, a nerd just like the rest of us that is interested in beginning this journey is a really wonderful way to, to showcase that to other folks. You don't have to be an expert in a given IP to enjoy a role-playing game in that IP, you know? Somebody can help you with the broad strokes, and then you and you do it. It's no different. And and same thing with learning a new game system. It's different than other game systems. But generally speaking, you get the basics, and then gameplay itself will help you through that. As long as you're with a group of folks who's all about, hey, here's how we do it, or a welcoming group, and I am confident that we are. A year from now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you'll be correcting me on that piece. But I think it's going to be a great way to showcase that, that people can enjoy this regardless of where they come into it. And then the other thing is a few of us, myself included, have a near encyclopedic knowledge of, if not episode numbers and titles, we at <laughs> least know the general part of a season that something might come up. So if you ever have a question, don't hesitate to ask, whether it be our cast, Discord, Facebook, whatever. And I would always say just the Star Trek Adventures Facebook group, please, I encourage you to join that group. They are an amazing group of people. A lot of the writers of the game are active on that board, whether they be freelance writers or the line editor, Jim. He's on there daily. Like he, I think he actually lives in the Facebook group. He doesn't actually have a house somewhere in the United States. He actually lives in that Facebook group. I think that's the way it is. And I should, in theory, say his name properly. That's Jim Johnson. <laughs> so there's all number of people who will be more than happy to answer little questions or whatever. Definitely uh, good stuff. Nothing to ever be worried about. So with that, I think we've covered a lot of the player questions. Is there anything else you want to talk to us about at this stage? Any, anything else that you're into that you think the audience might be interested to know that might either shock, surprise, or <laughs> encourage them as well? Shock or surprise? I guess I am just really excited to think that going through this as newer to Star Trek, that I'll be completely honest with my experience as we go through it. And I really hope I can give some inspiration to newer players. As far as things about me, I think probably people don't expect that I'm a Marine. So I think that's probably shocking, but don't know. Not shocking at all. Not at all. Like I said, Marines have always been a part of my life in one fashion or another. My stepfather was in the Navy, so the several Navy bases that my stepfather was at, obviously I was around Marines. One of my childhood best friends growing up, he retired a few years ago as a gunnery sergeant from the Marine Corps. Marty, he's on the show. He's part of our Patreon. He's part of a 
almost everything we do here. He was actually my first GM for an ongoing campaign. My college roommate, he was a Marine as well. So many. Even one of my Army drill sergeants had been a Marine before he switched to the Army to become a drill sergeant. It, it is literally just a part of my life, so I'm never surprised when somebody yeah. says, hey, I'm a Marine. I'm just like, excellent. Now I know what I can expect. It's all good. <laughs> so. so I will say, despite that, I'm a generally pretty awkward and shy person, and I keep on ending up in these situations where I feel like I can't be shy. I have to be all there, so I'm sure you guys will be editing out all the awkward moments to make me sound super cool. <laughs> <laughs> you already sound super cool. What I will probably be doing is editing out the moments that make me mess that all up. So don't sweat it. You're all good. Excellent. So I want to switch gears now that we've talked about you a bit. And I want to go into that truncated or special version of the session zero that I spoke of. One of the first things I like to do is make sure that I'm always engaging my players on a level that makes them feel comfortable. I don't ever want to create a situation where you feel awkward or something isn't right. I try to make sure that we have a decent and comprehensive session zero. Part of that's going to be talking about the expectations of the game, as well as the setting for the uh, type of campaign we're running, and most importantly, safety tools. I refer to them as yellow cards and red cards. What are the things that we are cautious of and shy away from or try to avoid? And what are the things are, are, that are hard lines? We're just not going to do that here. So we'll talk about what Tabletop Journey sees as that. And then we'll certainly talk to you about where you are with that. As, as a GM, have no problem making adjustments. If there's something that you're not comfortable with, it can be easily written out. One of the things that I uh, will start with, and I probably should have done this when we started our conversation, is what are your preferred pronouns? My preferred pronouns are she or her or they. I myself am a he, him. I know Glenn and Josh are. When you get to meet the full cast when we're recording, we'll make sure that theirs are known as well. What we'll do is we'll ju really just talk about setting the stage. Obviously, it's an actual play. It is a podcast. We do edit. We're not one of those, at least at present, 100% on air. We edit for a couple different reasons. One, we want to make an engaging and exciting experience for our listeners. So we do edit exceptionally long pauses, the various breaks that we might take during a session. In addition to being aired for the podcast, this game, Star Trek Preservations, is a semi-episodic campaign. In the vein of all of our favorite TV shows, there is a season-long and certainly a, a series-long story arcs. But each episode is its own separate things. In general, our plan is about 10 episodes per season. We work out our recording schedule so we can get that done. And then we edit those episodes so they come out in four approximately one-hour blocks. As far as the episode goes, we encourage everybody to share it. Any of the socials you're at, let them know. Say, hey, I'm on this new show. It'll be great. Get that out there. We are on all the socials currently. So feel free to share that wherever you feel comfortable. In regards to Star Trek preservations and the theme, two things come to mind. Star Trek is, generally speaking, about hope for the future. It's envisioning of a future where many of our current problems are 
resolved or on the better side of being resolved, right? There's no drama if everything is fixed. So there are obviously going to be problems. But that theme is out there. And specifically as it relates to the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game, the assumption is that the characters who are part of Starfleet are legitimately good standing members of Starfleet. They can have their own foibles. They can have their own challenges here or there. But in general, they're part of Starfleet because they want to be. And they will try to do things the right way whenever possible. And obviously, if there are some personal nuances or flaws or anything like that come up in character generation, that's where the drama is. So it's how that goes into Star Trek. Uh, And as far as uh, just role-playing in general and the social contract with sitting at a table with a bunch of players, virtually or otherwise, the idea is to find ways to work together, create those drama scenes, but always in the end come back to, yep, I'm glad we're here kind of thing. And then in specific with Star Trek Preservations, this is a series that is set in a specific time frame. It's set in a time directly after the Dominion War, which happened during the Deep Space Nine show. And during that, things went south for the Federation and for Starfleet. Um, it was the kind of war that Starfleet really hasn't fought before. They were fighting for existence. Things got ugly. Uh, good Starfleet characters made terrible decisions so that the Federation could survive. And that's what DS9 was about. It was about where is that line? Do we cross it? How do we come back if we've crossed it? Are we okay if we have crossed it? What this show is about in the years that follow that is can we get back to what we wanted to be? And it's about those characters who did cross the line during that war epic. So there are characters that are like, yes, we had something that tested our ideals. Now it's can we come back to those ideals? That's really what Star Trek preservation is about. Can we preserve the ideals of the Federation? And that's the theme we're going for as an overall story arc for all of the seasons is what can we do to get back to that? A lot of season one was set up for that. It was setting the stage, putting people in place, getting to know characters. There's a central mystery that kind of really picked up at the end of season one. And that's where we're we're picking up towards the beginning of season two. But it's going to be, can we do all these things and be the Starfleet that's on the poster? Your first episode should be season two, episode two. From a time frame standpoint, episode two starts in the year 2380 lower decks the television show season one of that show takes place in 2380 and goes so far up to 2384 so we're in that lower decks time frame but we are in a different section of space specifically the section of space is not federation space yet it is pretty far away from the core federation worlds located near Cardassian territory, not terribly far from Breen territory. Cardassians were one of the big villains in Deep Space Nine. The Breen were another set of villains in Deep Space Nine and uh, a group who are particularly hostile. The idea is there's this Federation station that has been placed there to build up relationships and help things out. There are some Federation territories out there, and this station is their hub and their lifeline. The hero ship for our show, the Delamus Christian, is the assigned patrol ship to Space Station Aslan. 
The Lama's Christian is a particular type of uh, Federation starship. It's relatively small. General crew complements around 42 to 45 folks. And it is ostensibly designed as a patrol or rapid response craft. It ha- can have some other functions, but generally it was built as a warship for a war. So that does play into this whole, what are we doing? What are we trying to do thing? Station, it is fully constructed, but it is not fully staffed. There are still a few things before it's quote unquote online, but all the heavy lifting and labor that all took place during season one. Any questions so far? No questions so far, I don't think. As far as tone is concerned, each episode is going to build their own tone to try to keep it fairly episodic. There are going to be some episodes that are murder mysteries. There are going to be some episodes that are straight-up adventure stories. There may be a survival story. There may be some – this is some really cool, wonky, sciencey stuff kind of stories. But there may also be some deep-rooted political or spy-type drama episodes as well. Overall, the idea is that we as players just have fun with this kind of varied st- episodic type of storytelling. That's it for the setting. Let's jump right into the game itself and introduce you to the 2D20 gaming system and Star Trek Adventures produced by Modifius Entertainment. Nate Dowdell is the creator of the 2D20 system in Star Trek. I love this game. I've done a ton of role-playing games, and I think it does a really good job of bridging that really cool niche in between a very narrative, theater of the mind, vampire of the masquerade type of game, and a crunchy D&D 3.5 or Exalted or Pathfinder type game. I think it has enough of the mechanics to make it feel like I can be tactical and I can make decisions that have nice little effects. But at the same time, it's very narratively designed so that it feels like a television episode, which is, I think, pretty unique in the tabletop space. It is really set up to be able to create a Star Trek episode. The cool thing is, there are all kinds of Star Trek shows, whether it's Strange New Worlds, original series, the movies. Each series is very different, and they can all have their own kind of niches and nuances, so this allows you to do any of those really well. The core mechanics are based on a 2D20 system. And unlike many games, the idea is to roll low, not high. When we get into building your character, and you'll see your stats create target numbers. So let's just say, for example, you have a target number that's an 11. When you have a task that needs to be accomplished and there's some kind of challenge, the idea is, as the GM, we go ahead and set a difficulty. And that difficulty is the number of successes you need to have. No matter what you're doing as the primary person or a character in a situation, if you're rolling dice, you always start with two. So for example, if I say this task has two difficulty, you need two successes total. So when you roll your 2d20, if both die are under the 11, you have two successes. If one's under, one's over, you have one success. If you were to roll a one, that's what's known as a critical success, and that counts as two. So if you rolled a one and a four, that would be three total successes. There are a number of different things that can increase difficulty, lower difficulty, impact or affect difficulty. But in general, that's the core mechanic. Because it's Star Trek and everything's about cooperation, 
you're rarely ever in a situation where you're the only person that can roll. So if you're with other members of your crew, you can always get assistance from at least one other person. And whoever's assisting gets to roll a single die. So now you've got three chances to achieve that success. Now, their target number is not the same as yours. Their target number is based on their stats. The other thing is, if you're on a ship in a shuttle, the actual ship has its own stats. And in most situations, that is another thing that can roll a die on behalf of your challenge. So again, you have a task difficulty of two. You're rolling two dice. Your fellow crew members rolling one dice and the ships rolling one dice, that's four dice that get to be rolled to achieve that too. So if all four of you roll, all four of you are successful, you get four successes. Difficulty two, you have two momentum. That's a good thing. That momentum can be spent in a whole bunch of different ways to help out the, the team in general. It's a bit of a meta currency and you can use it to do different things. Sometimes momentum is used to fuel special abilities that your character might have. Sometimes it's used to get re-rolls or impact other parts of the game. As a GM, there's also another meta currency called threat. That's what I get to use. <laughs> Every session starts with a certain amount of threat. On average, it's two threat per player sitting down. So there's just as many things as I can do with threat as you can do with momentum. It's not meant to be punishing. It's more about creating cool moments. If a uh, conflict of some kind is going a little too easy, there's no narrative fun in that. You got to have some stuff happen. So I could spend threat to have, say, another Bromulan show up to cause some trouble. Or I might make a complication, such as the lights start flickering, so now you can't see as well. So everybody has more difficulty achieving a given task. And in any scene, if I have enough threat, I as a GM can end the scene. The way I would describe that is we've all seen those shows where things are going either well or badly for the party, and they're in a cave, and all of a sudden there's a cave in. And you see all the rocks fall, and then the screen goes black, and the scene is ended. Next thing, when you come back from the commercial, they're in sick bay or they're in some other situation where we got to figure out how to get out of here. If I have enough threat, I can create that effect. As we build your character, we'll talk about a couple other things, but honestly, they're going to come up in game, so I'm not going to take too much time tonight to go through those. There's things like determination, which is ways you can use elements of your character to create effects at various times. There's stress. It's similar to hit points, but it's really not hit points. It works very differently, but it's a version of your health uh, in a given situation. Before we get into building your character, because we're almost at that stage now, is the fact that there are really three main character types in the Star Trek Adventures game. One of those is main character. That would be the player character that each player gets to build, mm -hmm. just like any other game. The other would be NPCs, just like any other tabletop game. They do break up NPCs into three types, minor NPCs, major NPCs, and notable NPCs. Minors are just like you expect. They're the minions. Major might be a, a lieutenant or a mini boss or something of that nature, or it might be just somebody who you talk to all the time, the cook on Aslan Station. Anytime you're there and you're in the mess hall, you have a conversation with that character, that would be a major character. 
notable NPCs or PCs who have great impact on the story. They are the antagonists. They're the big-named bad guys. They are the people that you're going to save and create complications throughout an adventure. And if you think about a television show, that's tonight's episode, guest starring blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. That's that kind of character in our shows. There's also what's known as a supporting character. That is a different kind of PC character. Star Trek's a very specific type of show or genre of show. And so there are missions where a captain just doesn't leave the ship. They're not supposed to. In Star Trek The Next Generation, famously, Will Riker never wanted to let Picard leave the ship. He did all the time, but <laughs> Riker was never particularly happy about it. At a role-playing table, that becomes difficult if somebody's character doesn't get to take part in the adventure. If you're playing a character who's in a department that's not part of an away mission, not a big deal. Wh whoever would be a part of that away mission, you can just generate a supporting character, and now you get to play that person going on that away mission. They're very quick and easy to build, and the BC Homes tool, which we're going to get into in a moment, has the ability to run up a supporting character in seconds, minutes really, but it's very quick. One of the things that I like to do for the Star Trek Preservations game is, in addition to building your main character, to go ahead and build a supporting character in any other department than where you currently are. That way you have somebody that can do something else. If at some point we use that enough where you want to turn that into a second main character, you absolutely can. It's part of the reason why I chose the Saber as our hero ship. It's a relatively small ship. There's only a small number of people, so it's easy to say, hey, I'm going to play so-and-so from this other department. That's, I think, one of the secret awesomeness that's part of this game is that ability that I no longer have to jump through narrative hoops to figure out or write a story that every player character would be in. I can just write the story that makes sense for the crew as a whole, and then the players can just go. And it might only be two of the main characters and everybody else might be a supporting character. Or it might be all of them, but one person uh. plays a supporting character. You know, because we can do that, it works out. I really like that mechanic. It seems very useful, especially yeah. for this sort of game. Absolutely. I think it just makes for a better, more engaging game. you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. All right, we're going to jump right into character building, and I am excited. I love this feeling of like nervousness and excitement all mixed into. I just sent you the actual crew manifest for the Dilamas Christian. So if you see a blank space, that's definitely where any support character can be. However, I never tell player characters 
don't do a certain thing. Our current cast does include the CEO and XO of the ship, so those roles are definitely taken. The chief engineer and chief of security are definitely taken. There are no other major bridge officer roles that are taken. There's actually no requirement that you have to be a bridge officer, but that is definitely possible. The other secret sauce to choosing a uh, Sabre class as a vessel, smaller vessels have lower ranked officers in key positions. So, for instance, a Sabre has a commander as its captain versus having a captain as its captain. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to have have 20 years of service or all these long tenures, everybody can be a bit of a younger, newer officer and still be in very key positions because it's such a small vessel. I think of JFK was in charge of a PT boat as a lieutenant, that type of thing. Star Trek and the Federation is not technically a military thing. My military mind just has to have that kind of consistency. That's one of the reasons why I use a smaller vessel as well as The logistics of being in charge of, say, a thousand people, like on a galaxy class, that seems to be a lot less fun than there's 45 folks on a really small boat. So that's kind of why I choose that. So with that, what kind of character role were you thinking of? Where where were you thinking you might have your interest? My initial thought was doing something like maybe science or medicine. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. For that spreadsheet. While there is a name in the science department head, that character is actually a supporting character. Mm -hmm. Having a new officer come in is not a problem whatsoever. And with medicine, those are all supporting characters and or NPCs. Any of those roles can also be changed. Because we are shifting from season one into season two, If you wanted to play a medical officer, we could simply add a new person to that department, and that would also not be an issue. If you're leaning one way or the other, don't let anything you see there deter you. Or if anything I've said has uh, sparked an interest someplace else, let me know. We can also go those areas as well. See, I think I'd like to try science. All right. Awesome. So we're going to go with science. All right. You have the BC Homes tool in front of you. I'm going to go ahead and go with you. There are a few weird things about the tool, so I'll talk you through as we go step by step, but I'll let you do your thing. Uh, You've been gaming long enough. Most of this you wouldn't even need me for. I'm just going to give it a few pointers here or there so you don't Mm -hmm. hit some trip-ups that I hit when I was using it the first couple times. As we get started, the first thing, obviously, when you're on that main page, you're just going to hit Characters and Starship. Mm This first screen is where you get to select your options. Now, the first thing I can say is if you wanted to select every single uh, option, you absolutely could. That is not my recommendation because in some cases you will have so many options, it will actually be harder to make some decisions. What I will do is go through what I think is necessary for this game. So if we're looking at core rule books, I would definitely select the core book. Mm-hmm. and Captain's Log. All right. When you look at crew books, I would definitely select TNG, mm-hmm. DS9, and Voyager. Mm-hmm. If we're looking at quadrant books, I would suggest Alpha and Beta. All right. Division books, I would definitely select Science. Now, 
if you want to play a science person that has some really strong engineering or technical know-how, go ahead and check operations also. If you want to pick a scientist who's had some team leadership abilities and maybe command training of some kind, go ahead and select command also. If you just say, look, I want a little bit of it all, select all three. All right. For campaign books, currently I would select Shackleton Expanse and Lower Decks. Shackleton Expanse mostly because there are some really interesting things in there. Okay. Lower Decks because it is our time period, and there's some really cool selections that definitely come from that book as well. As far as major expansions, definitely The Player's Guide and Utopia Planitia. Okay. As far as the others, I would not select any of those at this time. Once you've done that, when you scroll down, just select the option that says standard RPG rules. All right. From this point forward, one thing I will mention is before you hit select and move on from a page, just make sure you've got everything because once you move forward, in most cases, you cannot move back and save everything. It makes you start over from scratch. That's one thing to keep in mind. Um, Good to know. From here, just uh, select Next Generation, 24th Century, and uh, this is where you get to decide what kind of thing you're going to create. And uh, for this, we're going to do main character. Uh, I believe you should be seeing Starfleet as your primary option. Is that correct? That's right. There's a number of different things, but we're going with Starfleet because that's the game we're playing at this point in time. And hit Create. So now you've got a couple options, a standard species, a mixed species, or a custom species. So if you go with standard species, that's going to give you a list of the standard species within Star Trek. Did you have one that you were interested in playing specifically? Do you have suggestions? No. There's a few that I would say probably won't work well, and I would certainly let you know that. But generally speaking, any species can be here. One of the beauties of Star Trek is idic or infinite diversity and infinite combinations. So any of them would work well. Interestingly enough, there are no humans in our cast currently. There are two Andorians. There's one Trill, and there is one half Beta Zed. Really, uh, depending on what you know and what you would choose to... Okay. I was thinking a Vorta. Vorta in specific might be a bit more challenging because they're an interesting uh, race that is semi-subservient to the bad guys of the last war. Um, Okay. (laughs) So while that is not impossible, that might be challenging in that regard. Or a role-playing opportunity. What about... A uh, betazoid. A betazoid? Yeah, that, that would be fine. I can also absolutely do human, for sure. So the one thing about betazoids is it will unlock some potential abilities, specifically that of either empathy or telepathy. Depending on what talent you choose to take, you could take both. If you're being a full betazoid, you might have some stronger and really cool abilities. But absolutely would be perfectly fine and normal to have them as part of the crew. So I don't want you to feel locked into anything specifically as far as being a human. I threw that out there, but if Betazoid is speaking to you, I'm all about it. Let's try it. All right. Awesome. If you wanted to, you could also just turn around and make a human as your support character. The best of both worlds. Absolutely. So when you select that, it's going to bring you to the next page. 
and it's going to give you a few details. It fills in your attribute stats to begin with. This is where I'm going to take a brief pause from what we're doing on the sheet to tell you about the attribute stats so that it makes a little bit of sense as you make selections coming up. Star Trek Adventures has six primary stats or attributes, control, daring, fitness, insight, presence, and reason. Whenever you select a species, there are three stats that get a bonus of plus one. Basically, your sevens across the board with a plus one in three specific stats. For Betazoids, those three stats are insight, presence, reason. That's why they're showing that you that you now have eight in each of those. It then gives you a trait, and then that trait will give you some ideas of your species abilities, that kind of thing. What follows that is your ability to take a single talent. There are two types of talents. They're cross-species talents. That allows you to take talents from any other species other than your own. There are esoteric talents. Those are special mental power type capabilities. As a Betazoid, I would recommend you check that box so your selections will have those as options. There are a few that will actually tell you, like the empath ability, that is for Betazoids, Mari, and Deltons only. And there might be another one that is for your unique group as well. I would say augmented abilities are ones to be aware of. We can definitely take them, but augments are like Khan, Nuni, and Singh. So they are typically and traditionally outlawed in the Federation. There are exceptions to that rule. So there's a number of main cast members who have had augment abilities, specifically Julian Bashir in DS9. Number one, Una Chin Riley in Strange New Worlds, they're both augments. There are definitely ways to work around that. It'll take me a second to read through this a little bit. No worries, take your time. This is where the uh, magic of editing comes in. I would also say that um, you will get many opportunities to choose additional talents at later points, and in at least one place you get to choose two talents. So... Um, specifically the two Betazoid talents, Empath and Telepath. You don't necessarily have to take one of those at this time because you may have the opportunity to take that later as well. Okay. That changes things or makes it less. The system is not designed to say, oh, you're not like any other Betazoid just because you don't take something here. Almost everything can be taken at any point, though there are a number of talents that are unlocked as you go through your life path. So there are some things you can't take at this stage because you either don't have the stats that are big enough to access it, or Mm -hmm. it's just not something that's ever offered at this point in your character's beginning. So for the bold kind of traits, it says when you buy one or more D20s by adding to threat, does that mean... I'm asking to buy a D20 and asking you to add a threat, or is that you happen to add a threat and this triggers? It is the former. Essentially, if you recall when we talked about it earlier, the primary actor in a given task rolls two dice. There Mm -hmm. are opportunities to buy additional dice. For example, if I set a task difficulty of four, if you're only rolling two, it is exceptionally difficult to possibly get there. So what you can do is spend something to get more dice. As the primary roller, you can spend one threat 
or momentum to buy one die. The second die you buy takes two threat or momentum, and the third die that you buy would take three threat or momentum. What that particular talent does is whenever you buy that particular extra die, as long as you're doing so with threat, you now have an opportunity to re-roll any of those dice that were not successful or to your liking. Let's say you get a critical failure or complication. If you've spent threat, you now get to re-roll one of those dice. So I choose one, right? Yep. All right, I'm choosing bold science. Excellent. One of the cool things here is, as we're checking these, once you've made your selection and you hit next, if for some reason... You were supposed to take two. It will stop you and tell you you missed something. That is a helpful thing. You can go ahead, hit next, and I believe environment will be the next section. Yes. So from here, this is talking about the environment in which your character grew up, and there are settings and conditions. So if you're in the settings, it's going to give you several options, the type of home world you're from, or... Mm -hmm. You can choose conditions. These actually come from the player's guide. This is actually the primary reason why uh, we added the player's guide as as an option earlier. These are less about where you were brought up and more like how. Were you brought up in the middle of a war situation? Were you brought up with discipline? Were you brought up and everybody was happy? Those types of things. So those are more social constructs versus... I was brought up on the home planet for all Betazoids, or I was brought up on a colony world for all Betazoids, or I was brought up on a starship. It's more concepts versus places is the way I would look at it. And you have your choice of any one, or you can choose random. The trick with choosing random is if you go that route, you're stuck with it. I don't think it usually lets you go back. The screen actually looks a little bit different than the last time I was in the tool. I'm not 100% on that point, but previously... (laughs) You could never go back. Big commitment. (laughs) All right. Let's see. I think I am going to choose Utopian Paradise. Ooh. I just tested it because I'm going through it at the same time. If you roll random, it now gives you the opportunity to stick with that or go back. It is no no longer a permanent choice anymore. That's good to know. (laughs) Good to know for the future. Once you've made that selection, it should move you to details about that. And while you're here, you'll see two of your attributes and and plus buttons. You'll also see your disciplines, and you'll see plus buttons. Basically, you get to select one of them, and it's going to add a bonus of one to that attribute or that discipline. So not really knowing what these attributes are, they what they seem by reading them? They're pretty intuitive in that regard, but specifically, you're going to find control is like your fine motor skills. Control also happens to be one of the primary options for how you pilot a craft or, in some cases, handle various things. Think of it like dexterity. Daring is pretty much exactly what it is. It's like your bravado. It's your I'm all about it. I'm all in. I'm going to use the uh, Captain Kirk two-fisted punch kind of thing. Fitness is your physical prowess, how strong you are, what have you. Insight is just that. It's more about your 
ability to intuit information, perhaps observe information, recognize the connective nature of different situations. Presence is just that. It's your general presence. It's like people notice you or Uh your ability to be noticed or enforce your will in a situation. That is fairly close to charisma as a a Mm -hmm. consideration. Reason is pretty much that it's your intellect, but reason also is about some of the elements that, at least in a D&D setting, are part of wisdom. It is also about how you connect different things. So if you have different theories, figuring out which theory is the best theory, that may not be intelligence in, in, in a D&D setting. That may also be a, a, a wisdom role. Here they're combined in that regard, uh, in that reason is handling those types of tasks as well. Okay. I'll talk about disciplines once you've uh, got the other two all set. All right. I'm all set with attributes. Okay. So disciplines roughly break down into the types of jobs Starfleet officers have. Command. It's as straightforward as probably anything involved in this would be. Con is basically like flying a ship. It's the control of the ship. It can also be used in regards to land navigation or anything like that. It is not the physical fine motor skill, but it's more about knowing where to go, how to go, what's the right path plotting a course, all of those types of things. Security is pretty straightforward, but it can be varied. It could be information security, IT type security, or it could be, I know how to defend somebody. I know how to fight somebody. I can swing a sword or shoot a gun or operate a weapons console. It can be all of those things. Engineering is pretty much what it says, but it is all the pieces and parts of that. I know how to create a thing. I know how to repair a thing. I can apply all these other things and create a device and work with a device or understand a, a device, work with various systems or what have you. It is not necessarily uh, using the computer, but it is being able to build or program the computer type of thing. Science is the theory behind just about anything you can imagine. It is all the things we ne- normally think of science, but it is also all those Star Trek science-y, techno babble type things and how things work. But it is also softer sciences. It's not just physics and string theory, quarks and protons and, and neutrons. It is also social sciences like archaeology, psychology. It, it is all, all of these other nuances. Given what I know you do for work in the real world, those can fall under this avenue as well. There's also medicine, and while there is some bleed over between the two. Medicine is more specifically about the healing process, though it can Mm -hmm. definitely be used in regards to the more therapeutic end of things. While it may be a scientific doctor who develops a particular therapy, it is going to be a medical doctor that would administer it or, Mm -hmm. or diagnose the patient. Many people who have one may have the other similarly status. All right. Once you have that, then we can talk about values. All right, let's go for it. If there's a part of the Star Trek Adventures game that could be considered complex, it's probably this. Isn't really, but it's weird to explain. Values are, they're core to your character. And as we're doing this life path, it would also be core to your character at this stage of their life. So while you were growing up, when you're in your home environment, These are the things that were held important in your home, household, however you were operating. And the idea is 
it is something that you would lean on when times get tough. When your back's against the wall, I'm going to move forward because I believe this. Or it could be everything I've ever known is wrong. I need to change it. Mechanically, challenging or using your value can create some mechanical effects like re-rolling or ignoring a failure and getting an automatic success. In situation, we'll give you the specifics on how that would actually work. But the idea is, here's something you believe. Is it something that is going to last for your entirety of your life? Maybe not. Is it something that you're going to meet somebody who challenges that and you're like, you know what? I was all wrong about that. I, I no longer believe that. I think that value has changed for me. It can be one of those things. The advice I was given is if you wanted to write a value statement because there is no set thing or choice of things, you can use the phrase, I believe, then write the statement. And when you put it, type it in there, get rid of the I believe statement, and that would be the value. And I will also say, because this game is new for almost everybody, if you put something in today, and as long as it hasn't come up in the show, if you're like, you know what, now that I understand the game a little bit better, would I be able to change that? Absolutely, the answer is yes. There are also uh, on the Continuing Missions webpage, which is another group, Michael Desmuke, who's one of the freelance writers for Star Trek Adventures, and actually the the lead writer on the Captain's Log game for Star Trek Adventures. He's one of the primary contributors on that website. They have these things called probability matrices or matrix, and many of those are just chock full of great value statements. That came out after I started playing, but once I saw the Captain's Logbook and I saw a lot of those matrices, I would literally go to that page. If I'm going to play like a science officer or whatever, I bring up the science probability matrices, and then it's literally like 20 different options for a great way to think about values for that character. And there's all kinds of different ones that you can do. The tool now has a die roller, so you could also just roll the die. And if something sounds really good, you can just go with that at random as well. So my initial thought is since my upbringing was in a utopia, that my value could be something like things can be peaceful and good, but we just need to work together to make it. Okay. Yeah. So values tend to be short, but they can be as long as you want it to work. When this prints out, it makes it shrink up, but no worries. I like that concept. I'm also all about writing the concepts so that you know what it is and feel comfortable role-playing it. I think that works perfectly fine. Once you have that, then you just hit next, and we'll be on to your early outlook. This is going to give you a few different options. Again, your aspirations are things that come from the player's handbook. They are very conceptual in nature versus the standard upbringing ones, which are very specific. For instance, the city I grew up in was agricultural or rural, artistic or creative. Like those are very specific. I grew up in Starfleet, like I was a kid on a starship or I was a kid on a starbase, whereas aspirations are more like, my upbringing was all about creating things. It was all about discovering things or exploring things. And once you select your option, it'll move you to a page that lets you describe that. Let me know when you're there. All right, I'm there. I didn't think it was just going to move me forward like that. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it so, sometimes you hit things and it just takes you to the next page. With your upbringing, this is a cool little life path thing. Your upbringing is basically what your parents or the people responsible for you uh, wanted you to be like. You have the choice to accept that or reject that. Based on that acceptance or rejection, the attributes that you get benefits to or get better at and the disciplines that you have, they actually will change. All right. I'm accepting. The attribute stuff is already there. Once you choose that, that fills in itself what it gave you bonuses to. And then your discipline, you can select which of the two options you would like to improve based on that particular upbringing and how it impacts your character. All right. Then it brings us to what's known as a focus. Now, where focuses come into play is, if you remember when we were talking about critical successes being ones, critical failures are 20s. A focus is a specific area of study. So you study science. Let's say astronomy is your focus. Anytime you have a task that deals with astronomy or you rationalize, hey, this has to do with my knowledge of astronomy in some way or shape or form, you would say that. I would say, yep, I agree. Now, when you roll your dice, it's not just a one that's a critical. It is anything under your discipline would be a critical. So let's say your science stat is now a five. Now your critical range for anything that has to do with astronomy is a one through five. So you have a better chance of getting a critical. That's how focus works. Now, there's no necessarily set focus. They give you some suggestions that are options in case you don't know, or you can even roll. I'm guessing the roll will probably come from some of those suggestions, but I don't actually know that because that's a new button since the last time I was here. Once you've chosen that, you have another talent option that you can select as well. So you can go through that list and find a talent that you think works well. Stuck in the focus. I'm- no worries. I like one of the suggestions is music, and I'm wondering how often that would come up. So the answer is, in Star Trek, that comes up often in season one of Star Trek The Next Generation. It is found out that Will Riker is a big fan of jazz music, in specific he plays the trombone. And there's an episode where he ends up holodeck with a hollow simulation, and music becomes a very important part of that. That comes up with Riker three or four times during the entire seven years of that show. There's an episode where Picard learns the flute. It's actually regarded as the absolute best episode of the entire IP. It is Josh's favorite episode in light if you haven't seen that i strongly recommend it i really like it. it's not my personal all-time favorite but it's a really good episode music factors in very heavily there there's an episode of strange new world season two basically it's the musical episode and so the entire episode everybody's singing and that is not just a musical episode like other shows do it's actually part of the science and the adventure that's going on so the characters are aware that they're all singing and they don't know how to stop doing that and using that the fact that uhura sings and is really good with music becomes the way they handle that so music can come into lots of different things as uh A number of friends of mine have always said, music is math. 
One related fun fact about me is that I have multiple times brought instruments into D&D games. Or not just D&D games, but role-playing games. I play flute, so I've brought a flute before. Awesome. I have been musically inclined for my entire life. My personal narrative is I am a child of rock and roll. So I'm all about it. That's cool. After you have your focus, you then have a talent to select. And you'll notice your talent options keep getting larger because there's a number of them that unlock as your stats get bigger. So if you notice as we're going, your stats are getting larger and larger. Um, That's unlocking more and more talents as well as being in certain departments and doing certain things will also unlock other. Did you say there's anything I shouldn't pick on this list? For talents, I would say there's nothing that you shouldn't pick. Be wary of cautious and bold because they tend to block each other. But it actually will say that. So, for instance, if you chose bold science, you cannot choose cautious science. But you could choose bold science and cautious security as an example. But as far as talents here, other than the augment stuff, I wouldn't worry about it too much. And it's less that you shouldn't choose that. It's just I need to specifically know that because there might be a few things about augments or extra resources I may need to give you so you're aware of how that plays in the greater Star Trek universe. And that's going to be overly worried about. Generally, if you've seen Wrath of Khan, you just want to know that anytime you see the word augment, that's how Starfleet views you. They think you're Khan. And that's why it's generally outlawed, but there have been a lot of exceptions. So it's something you wouldn't tell people about. But at this particular time frame, we could definitely start saying it's known that you have it. You have been approved to have it. You just wouldn't ever tell anybody you have it because then you might have other issues. But if it ever came up in game, that would be a really freaking cool little bit of role play. And between two right now, neither of them are augmented. Okay. <laughs> What two are you looking at? I'm looking at extrasensory perception or testing a theory. I personally really like extrasensory perception. I think that's very cool. And I think it's even cooler being the fact that you're playing a Betazoid. And testing a theory is very good. A lot of folks have chosen that. So they're both really solid choices mechanically, but... I really like ESP. Uh, I will also say part of that is because anything that adds threat is fun for me. The thing that excites me about the ESP part is just because it inherently adds like excitement. It's like a little spicy. Exactly. That is not a talent I've ever read before. I don't always choose characters that have access to the esoteric talent. So that's probably why I haven't seen it before. But and right, like let's I said, go with that one. All right, cool. Once we hit next, it brings us to your Starfleet Academy career. Now, there are three options in science. Other is a legitimate option for you. What that basically says is you have Starfleet rank. You are a Starfleet officer, but you didn't go through as a Starfleet officer. For instance, you're a doctor uh, of some science and you have rank. So that will basically lock out certain talents and give you access to other talents as well. They would be more geared towards an academic start to your higher education versus an academy start. 
There is the enlisted, basically you're in the military, it's enlisted versus officer. Primarily, however, most folks and certainly department heads are going to be on the officer track or that academic track, but you can choose either one that makes sense for you. I think I'm going to go for the university alumni. Once you make that selection, it should bring you to that track and it will allow you the option of adding to your attributes. It'll tell you how many. It will tell you which primary disciplines it adds to. You're going to add one to one of the two options. And then your secondary discipline, you're going to add one to one of those options as well. Once you have those all set, you've got three foci that you can choose. Again, it's going to give you a bunch of selections, or you can roll for any of those. When you're all set with those foci, there's a new value to be selected. And after that, talents as well. I know what my current disciplines are at. When you're looking at your disciplines and it and it gives you those numbers, those are where they're at. And then you're, if you hit the plus, it's going to add one to it. So your disciplines are always smaller numbers. You, they cannot go over five. And there are certain <laughs> things that they can't even get that high, depending on other choices you may have made. So if you ever get to your discipline section and there's no option for a plus, that's telling you that's maxed out. Okay. So my disciplines, like for science, it has in parentheses plus two, and then it has a one next to it. Does that mean that will be a three? It doesn't uh, have anywhere to add. What that is telling you is that particular area, you don't get a choice there. Okay. Sorry. There is definitely a lot of options on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And imagine if you had selected every one of those books, that list would be that much longer. All right, I think I got it. Excellent. When you hit select, it'll move you to your career length. All at right. This, and at this stage, you can choose young officer, experienced officer, or veteran officer. For the purpose of this game, I have pretty much always said young or experienced. Actually, for the crew, they all started young with one character at a, at a storyline exception to that rule. This is season two. Your character was not part of where their origin started, so you are not necessarily beholden to those specific restrictions because you're coming in at a different point. So you have the entire world open to you. My only caution would be, as a casual fan who's learning Star Trek and learning the Federation, it may be easier to make that transition and come in with the same eyes that your character would be as a young officer who's learning as you go. From a mechanical standpoint, when you select young officer, one of the choices you could make is actually made for you when you do that. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it just makes sense at this point for that to be the case. But that choice is yours, of course. All right, I'm going to do Young Officer. And it should bring you to a point where you select a value and it should tell you your talent has already been selected for you. All right. As long as you've completed all of those sections, you can hit next. All right, career events. Career events. This is basically the things that happen on your first posting out of the academy. So you first joined Starfleet, your first job, your first ship, or your first space station, whatever it may have been, one of these types of events have happened. I have often 
either roll these random to just see what happens and see how life impacted a character. But there are times where I'm like, no, I had a def- definitive vision for the type of character I'm making. So I would make that choice. The beauty of this page is if you select it, it'll tell you which of the attributes you'll be able to add to. In the case of Breakthrough or Innovation, it lists all of the attributes. You're not getting a plus one to all of them. What you are getting is the ability to choose a plus one in one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next uh, section would be the discipline that you get to add to. And again, with Special Accommodation, you get to select one of all of those disciplines that might work. All right. I clicked random and I got death of a friend. Okay. We're not necessarily going to do that piece on air, but you and I will communicate at some point so we can figure out who that is and how that works, because clearly that mm-hmm. come up at some point in the life of this character. So we'll get into that. But once you've made that selection, it should give you your attribute and your discipline. There's then a focus, which you want to fine tune towards that experience. What is it about that event that you pulled a a particular focus out of? Was it the type of mission you were on or something you got really good at after dealing with that? When you're done with that, it'll give you a second career event. Okay. Similar setup to the last one. All right. I just clicked random again. I got dealing with a plague, but I can hit random again if that one's a little too off. Nope. There's very little here that would be off. And again, it'll give you your same types of options. When you hit next, it should bring you to finishing touches. And you might have one, two, or three additional things for attributes, one, two, or three additional things for disciplines, and you basically get to top those off. And one last value. All right. With that, when you hit the finish button... This is where you get to select a name for your character and whatever their pronouns may be. I appreciate that there's suggestions for names. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty happy with that as well. So it got to the end and I'm like, it's a lot of choices. Once you have a name and pronouns, you scroll down, then you'll have rank options. It'll actually select based on the talents and the other options where they think you should land. Where does that ha- uh, peg your character at this point? Lieutenant J.D. Let me take a look at our manifest. So I would definitely select a lieutenant in this particular case. As far right. as assignment, it, it should probably have selected science officer for you would be my guess. It has actually... It selected ship's counselor. Oh, okay. (laughs) You don't have to stick with that. And based on our discussion, I think science officer makes more sense. It's probably more because of the empathic piece. It probably leans towards that. But you can just choose science officer. All right. And the ship assignment, which would be the USS Delamas Christian. All right. It is showing you all of the values you've uh, written in throughout this. If you wish to change any of them, now is definitely the point that you can do that. If that looks good, then what we would do is hit export to PDF. All right. So we have the character done. Lacey, 
It's been a great pleasure having you join the crew of the Delamas Christian and the family here at Tabletop Journeys. I would love for you to end this wonderful episode by telling us the name of the new science officer for the Delamas Christian. I'm Narila Nilan. Excellent. And we will look forward to seeing Lieutenant Arila Nilan, our new science officer on Star Trek Preservations here at Tabletop Journeys. As I always say, whenever we close a Star Trek episode, IDIC, y'all. Have a great night.